Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Perfect Prey. I'm glad you're here. My name is Dr. Christine Marie Cochola, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and have a doctorate in clinical social welfare, where I researched course of control and the impact on both adult and child victims. Most importantly, I am a survivor and a protective parent. Victims and survivors of course control are never to blame, but I chose the name Perfect Prey because coercive controllers who are individuals who apparently have characterologically disordered personalities do choose who to prey upon. They choose people who tend to be agreeable and conscientious, perhaps loyal to a fault, fixers, optimistic, and empathic. Or these coercive controllers prey upon those who are most vulnerable including our children. It's part of their plan to gain control. How do we help our children when they are experiencing systematic, unacknowledged child abuse? We need to understand how these course controllers, harmful individuals, attempt to exert their power over us and our children. We need to look beyond a trauma-informed lens, but also layer it with a course of control lens. So, Let's engage in personal power conversations that will create protective parts that will derail the course of controller from his plan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Perfect Prey. Last episode, I focused on this concept of compliance as an act of survival for our children. I read you the letter that I've written from the abuser to his child. I also have it on YouTube if you wanna check out my YouTube channel. The purpose of this, this idea of thinking like the abuser is really trying to understand how harmful these individuals can be. They are intentional and often delusional in their thinking. They believe their own lies. Thinking like them and recognizing what they're thinking empowers us to strategize better and to understand what our children are experiencing. These people are extremely calculating and we have to capitalize on this ability that we have as people who experience their abuse. What happened to you is happening to your children. Sadly, I think I have acquired the gift of thinking like these abusers. And oftentimes, when I explain to a victim that I believe the motive of the coercive controller might be whatever it is, I'm surprised that they are surprised by my explanation. Sometimes shocked, disbelief. And then I remember how for so long I didn't want to believe the abuser was capable of doing so much harm. So I wanna be really clear that your brain, as we've talked about before, probably doesn't work this way. But the best way to support our children is to begin thinking like these people. Your brain doesn't want to allow you to see that someone is so harmful, particularly someone that you loved, someone that you shared children with. And this is probably the reason why many of you stayed for an extended period of time. But our personal power is gained when we can actually begin to predict what they're going to do, what they're going to say. And the only way we can do that is if we think like them. 
everything, again, that's happened to you is happening to your children. It doesn't matter how much time your children spend with that course of controller. The course of control is being exerted upon them. The more clarity we get, the more understanding we have that their redeeming qualities are non-existent. The more that we do this and we look at this situation from what I call the 10,000 foot view, the more we're able to help our children. And that's the goal here. I was on a call this past week with a mom who gave her abuser the benefit of the doubt. He offered for her to come to his house, the house they used to share, to get her personal items. Now, mind you, she hasn't seen her son without supervision for three months because the abuser accused her of alienation. But she went to the house. She gathered her things. And right before she was ready to leave, he came into the garage where she was and began to assert his narrative. You know, how unhealthy she is. Why doesn't she get to see her son without supervision? This all was a trap. He wasn't being generous. She fell right into it. By giving her the opportunity to get her personal belongings, which she really wanted, he set it up for her to believe that maybe he had a redeeming quality. There is no judgment here, by the way. I am not in any way, we are in no way shaming this mother. This is the issue, is these perpetrators focus on us and make us their perfect prey. He set up a trap and unfortunately she was in it. Thankfully, she did not become extremely dysregulated or angry when she saw him and he started to be aggressive towards her, she left. And of course, the narrative as she walked away was, you're unwilling to communicate with me. This is why you don't see your son. I mean, thankfully, she did not react. I don't know how she held it together, really. She hadn't thought he had cameras. I wish she had spoken to me first. I, of course, would have advised her not to go, but also would have said, if you go, know that he has cameras. They all have cameras. This is their way to retain more control and to create intimidation. As Dr. Evan Stark states, coercive control is a liberty crime. This control of her, letting her walk in, exposing her in this way, is taking away her liberty, her freedom. She didn't know she was being videotaped. So again, I really want you to think about looking down at the perpetrator and the family system and seeing it from this 10,000 foot view. What is he planning? Why is he behaving this way? What is he saying and doing with your children to harm them, to harm their relationship with you? I get that this might be triggering. It's overwhelming. But really, if we don't think about these things, there's no way to intercede. There's no way to ensure that our children are not getting a different narrative. What is the story your child has been growing up with? There's a story. It's a false story. It's a false narrative. If you could write the story, and I'd love for you to do that. If you could write the story 
now that you see clearly, what would the story be about you? What would the story be that your child's heard about the harmful parent, about your family, about your work, about your friends, about your hobbies? What is the story? Remember, the course of controller loves to split the world our children live in. Things are black and white. There is no gray. Things are good or bad. People are good or bad. You are good or bad. And what you do and who you associate with is very often always bad. This is like a cult. So we start with understanding the story. It's called story scaffolding. And I would say, create a list. What are the pieces of the story that you would put on the list? Perhaps they've heard you're unstable, depressed, have anxiety. Perhaps they've heard that you don't love them. Perhaps they've heard that you had a terrible childhood. Perhaps they've heard of an incident that you participated in that maybe you would have a little discomfort in them knowing it's a vulnerability and the course of controller has told them. Now, of course you have anxiety, probably significantly depressed. We all know that complex trauma is certainly something that most victims and survivors are experiencing. You can't be continually eroded down and not have anxiety and have some significant depression. It makes sense. Now, if your child is continually being eroded down, if they're being betrayed by the love and unconditional love they have from you, the relationship they have with you, then they're suffering in the same way. The course of controller is going to use your vulnerabilities against you. What are those vulnerabilities? Make the list. From the list, we can create the story. Children have been implanted with seeds of doubt for a long time. The seeds of doubt are not coming from a stranger. They're coming from someone they love and trust. This creates the cracks in the foundation of attachment that you have been none the wiser about. These cracks were started again from day one, planting seeds of doubt all along the way. So if your children are older, you've got a lot more cracks to fill. If your children are older, the story has become more and more believable. If your children are older, the list is longer. If I'm a child, the course of controller makes sure that I don't trust you. Make sure that I'm insecure around you. Make sure that I feel unsafe, that I'm unloved, that anything I say isn't believable. This, of course, is exactly what the course of controller wants. Now, it doesn't have to be overt and aggressive. Oftentimes, it's a whisper. Oh, mom's anxious today, right? Or, oh, mom's yelling again, when actually you weren't even yelling. So understanding that's the story our children have heard all along. This is what we call confirmation bias. When actually we do behave in a way that the course of controller has told our children we behave, or even slightly, maybe we're really upset because the clothes have been on the floor for three days and we might raise our voice. That's going to give our children confirmation bias. Their beliefs are going to be confirmed, particularly 
when the course of controller is in their ear saying things like, sorry, your mom yelled, whispering it while your mom works out a lot or she's at the gym again, or see, mom is always upset. It doesn't have to be meanly stated. It doesn't have to be loud. It actually can be in an affectionate way, like a way of caring. It actually works really well when it's insidious and covert. When the course of controller makes the child believe that the child is on their side. It's the splitting. Mom is bad. I'm good. Mom doesn't have your back. I do. Even though all along the coercion and control is happening and it's diminishing and eroding our child's autonomy, their agency, just like it did you. Anything that the course of controller can do to minimize you, they're going to do. So again, I'm asking you, think about that list. Think about the story. So a lot of moms, when I have these discussions with them, they say, but you're asking me to walk on eggshells with my children because you're telling me that I can't yell. You're telling me that I can't get upset. I'm not asking you to not yell or not get upset, but I do think it's really important that they get a different perception of us. So I've had some protective parents tell me that it seems like I'm telling them that they need to walk on eggshells with their children. And you know, I get it. It can feel that way. But remember, when you were walking on eggshells with the abuser, you were doing it for fear of retaliation. And maybe your children do retaliate against you, but you're not doing it for fear of retaliation. You're not doing it to accommodate them. You're doing it to heal them. The only way they can heal is if they have a different story. And the only way they can have a different story is if they see you differently. They have to see you differently. So we are performing. We are performing in a way that shows our child that we're different than how that we've been described. There's really two things going on here that are really important. One, when you perform in this way, pretend you're an actress on stage, an actor on stage, okay? When you perform that way, your brain actually begins to take on that shift. Your brain actually begins to regulate better. Let's just imagine your child is coming home and you pretend it's not your child. Just pretend it's not your child. How would you behave differently? Get into that acting role in your home. And then in that, that acting role will help your brain actually shift. And that's really important. So we have to practice this regulation in order for our brain to know how to regulate. So if we practice it by pretending it's not our child, it's someone else's child, it's our niece, it's our friend's child, when they would misbehave or behave in a way that would trigger us, how would we respond? We would respond differently. It wouldn't be a reaction. So we are tricking our brain into feeling more relaxed, even though we don't feel like it. Now, of course, there has to be a lot of self-care before this. There has to be a lot of practice, which is why you need the list. You need to look at that list and get your brain really seeing clearly what your child's story is. What is their story? We have to be creative about it. We have to be intentional about it. We have to be attuned to them. And so what we're doing is we're showing them that no matter what they say or do, we're still standing here. We're resilient. We're capable of handling it. It doesn't mean we like it. Everything that you bring to me, I'm going to take it on. It's not going to be personal. And I'm going to be able to give back a response that's healthy, 
And in that, I'm going to show you that what you're saying isn't true, what you're doing isn't appropriate. So listen, none of us are perfect. We make mistakes. We definitely have to give ourselves time and grace and all of this. But what we can do is we can show up in this strength, personal power way. And when they attack us, when they do things that are inappropriate, we can show them that we are not that person that's been described to them. We are not going to break. We are not going to break. We're not going to, you know, get angry and sob. We're just going to say something like, that's not true. I don't agree. I'm sorry you heard that. Hmm. I don't think that's true. I'd be happy to discuss with you further, but I don't agree. And we come from this really calm, attuned place. Now, let's say you make a mistake. It's okay. Maybe you do yell. You take a step back. You apologize. You take responsibility. You show up in a different way, so different than that coercive controller. So different. Here's the thing. They're going to that house and they have to regulate their behavior with that person. They think they have to regulate their behavior with you. They think that's what they've been told. That's the story they have, right? How do you show them otherwise? So it's really about role modeling for them exactly what we need them to do. You have agency. You have personal power. You are not impacted by their words, what they do, you're still standing there waiting for them. And you're going to be ready to apologize when you, when you do make that mistake. You're showing them the gift of perspective. Your place, your home, you are a different person. So in episode eight, I really plan to focus on loss and grief because this process is extremely overwhelming. The grief is I mean, there are no words. So I'm looking forward, of course, to meeting some of you in the Protected Parenting Program that I'm launching in January. It's what I love to do. I love to support and validate and educate protective parents on best strategies to guide their children towards freedom, freedom from the course of controller. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Perfect Prey. You can find the show on my website at iknowyourheart.com or courseofcontrolconsulting.com or subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts. I'd love your feedback and I'm always looking for ideas on how to continue to expose course control as the significant harm and child abuse that it is. The best way to support the show is to rate and review Perfect Prey on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to find us. Perfect Prey is written by me, Dr. Christine Cocciola, and with the help of my amazing assistant, Sheena Pastor. Thank you and have a great day, everyone.